not going to be in a specific text, but you can open up to 1 Samuel 8. We'll spend a little bit of time there. When I had originally began to pray about this message and this series, I kind of felt like I knew where I was going to open with, but during the week, this week, I just kind of felt like God was leading me to kind of do, obviously I was going to do an introduction, but to kind of do an introduction to even David's life. So rather than jumping right into chapter 16 where we're really kind of introduced to David, I'm going to go back a few verses and even a few decades before his life because I think it's important to see how God was preparing things before David was ever even born. The Bible teaches that God has known us from eternity past. The Bible teaches that when we were even in the womb, people like Jeremiah and Paul, for example, said that they were set apart in the mother's womb for service. And so it's encouraging to me that, to know that long before God ever called me to, to enter into a relationship with His Son Jesus, long before He ever called me to pastor a church or plan a church, God knew me and He had a plan and was preparing that plan from way, way back, as far back as we can go. And that's the same for you. There are no accidents with God. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. And so you are here today for a purpose. You are created in the image of God. You have value and wealth. No matter if you feel that way this morning, no matter if people have told you you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything, that's not what God has to say. And so I pray that you will listen to Him rather than all the other voices that clamor for your attention and that God will have His way in your life today. So I want to preach to you a message this morning as we begin this series called Preparation in the Ordinary. Preparation in the ordinary. I want to ask you a question. You don't have to shout this out, but I often try to ask a question to get you thinking about things in the morning. What are some big, big moments in your life? Some of you may be still somewhat young and you say, well, I haven't lived a lot of life yet. So your, your moments may not be as numerous or as big. But all of us, I would say, have moments in our life that are forever etched in our minds that we will never forget. Maybe it's the birth of our children, the day we got married. Maybe it was something that's not so good that's a big moment that we remember. A, a health crisis or a job crisis. Sometimes those are the big moments that stick in our minds. But oftentimes, regardless of what the situation, we all can look back on our life and say, these are some milestones. These are some monumental things in my life that I can remember happening. Maybe you remember those moments this morning and can reflect on those. Let me ask you another question. For those of you that are married or been dating for a while, can you remember where you went on your first date? Maybe that was a big deal. I hope it was. And you can remember where you went on your first date. But if you've been together for quite a while now, married for a long time or dating for a long time, and I asked you, where did you go three months ago on the third Saturday of the month? I only remember yesterday. I don't know where I was, right? Because that's not a milestone. That wasn't necessarily a monumental event that caused you to really take notice and etch that in your heart and mind as a date you'll never forget. For those of us that are old enough, if I said, where were you on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, I think all of us can immediately recall in our minds what happened on that day that changed our country. Where we were, what was going on, how we felt, those things are stuck in our minds. But if I said, where were you on Tuesday, September 11th, 2012, maybe you were at the same place, maybe you were at work, but you probably don't remember every detail of what happened that day like you do 10 years before, 11 years before that on 2001. My point is that major events stick with us. They're significant to us. They're milestones that we remember. But routine days of life 
Not so much. We don't remember the routine, the mundane, the ordinary days like we do the milestone. And I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we are caught up and enamored in the spectacular, in the miraculous. Because certainly when we read the Bible, many of those stories are centered around supernatural, miraculous works that God has done. And we rejoice in knowing that He is able to do those things and has done those things. I think about many of the characters that we study in the Bible, and we could name them David being one. But think about this for a moment. I'm bringing all this in for a point. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. Moses lived to be 120 years old. Joshua lived to be 110 years old. And when we think about Abraham and Moses and Joshua, we can probably recall some of the milestones in their life. The Bible records many of those dramatic stories for us. But in 175 years, 120 years, and 110 years, respectively, that's a lot of days. A lot of ordinary days. A lot of routine days. A lot of mundane days that aren't recorded in the Bible. Days where they just got up out of bed early, got their pot of coffee going, read Facebook, and scrolled through and got their morning news or whatever that we do. They certainly didn't do that back then and they were probably better off for it. But they got up early to tend sheep. They got up early to farm the land. They raised their families. They dealt with sickness and tragedies and all kinds of uncertainties that we face just in an ordinary day of life. And we're not necessarily told about all those days. And I don't think that we have to necessarily know them all. But we have more days like that, guys, than we do supernatural days filled with milestones. And I want to ask you to think about this this morning. Where is God in those ordinary, routine, mundane, monotonous days of life? Is He only present? Is He only active? Can we only see and feel Him when He's doing something big in our lives? Or is He constantly with us, never leaving or forsaking us, inhabiting His people, dwelling within us in the Holy Spirit? Is He always with us, even in those routine mundane days? I would say, overwhelming answer to that is, yes, He is. I was watching, I'm an 80s kid, grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and so, best music, best movies, all God's people said, amen. And so, one of my favorite movies from that era was Karate Kid. You guys like Karate Kid, remember that? Karate Kid with Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And so one of the scenes, my favorite scenes, is where Daniel has went to Mr. Miyagi and he wants him to teach him karate. And he goes over to his house and for the whole week, Mr. Miyagi has him doing all sorts of chores, isn't he? He's sanding the floor, he's wax on, wax off, he's paint the fence, he's painting the house, and he's doing all these things. And there's a scene in the movie where Mr. Miyagi comes back, it's late in the evening, he's been painting the house, uh, Daniel's been painting the house all day, and he's upset. By this point, he is mad. And Mr. Miyagi comes back with his fishing poles and Daniel's upset and he said, you went fishing without me, you didn't invite me. And Mr. Miyagi says this, he says, you're karate training. And Daniel says, I'm what? I'm being your slave, he says. We made a deal here. Mr. Miyagi says to him, so? Daniel says, so you're supposed to teach and I'm supposed to learn. For days I've been busting my butt and I haven't learned a thing. Mr. Miyagi says to him, ah, you learn plenty. He says, I've learned plenty. I learned how to sand your deck and paint your fence and wax your car and paint your house. And here's what Mr. Miyagi says to him. 
not everything is as it seems. And he begins to throw punches and kicks at Daniel. And as Daniel whacks on, whacks off, and paint the fence, he blocks every one of those blows that comes his way. He didn't realize that in the ordinary mundane chores of life, Mr. Miyagi was teaching him something much greater that would benefit him later. And that's the same thing that God does in our lives through the mundane and the routine. He's testing our faithfulness to Him when things just seem ordinary because in the moment that He is ready to use us, He has prepared us through the routine mundane days. That's David's life, or at least the beginning of his story in a nutshell. It really is. And as we look at David, you might be surprised to know, obviously, the person that's mentioned the most in the Bible is Jesus. The person mentioned the third most in the Bible is Abraham. He has 14 chapters devoted to him. But in between Jesus and Abraham is this man David, who's mentioned 66 times. 66 chapters in the Bible is devoted to the life of David. I believe that God inspired the writers to preserve so much about David because there is much we can learn from his life. And that's why I felt drawn in this direction to help our church go through a series like this to learn from David and to learn from God and how he worked in his life. David is a man just like us. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, but David certainly had many seasons of highs and many lows. He had joy in his life and he had great pain. He had victories and he had sinful shortcomings. He was no different than us. And a lot of times we read the Bible and we look at these characters and we think, man, they are so much greater than me. They've done so many more things than me. And, and we think I could never be like them. We are just like them. It's not about their stories. It's about what God did in their lives. The Bible is not about Paul and Peter and David and Samson and all those characters. It's about God. It's a, it's a story and a narrative. 66 books woven together that point to one person. And anything that anyone has done in this book or outside of this book has done so only in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, without Him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And so, as much as we love these characters and we all have people in the Bible that inspire us and look up to us, ultimately, Jesus has to be the object of our faith and the object of all of our affections and desires to be more like Him. So I want you to look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 8 because... This shepherd boy was eventually going to have a destiny before him where he would become a king over Israel. But it didn't happen overnight. And there were a lot of trials and tribulations. There was a lot of training that took place in his life through the ordinary. And we want to go back and we want to see what the atmosphere, what the culture, what the times were like before David was even born. To kind of get an idea of what God was doing in history and what He was going to do in the life of David. So look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read them to you and then we'll talk about them a little bit. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old. So remember, Samuel had been a prophet and he had been a judge and he was nearing the end of his life. And so Samuel, uh, when he was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Verse 3, His sons did not walk in His ways. Being a godly parent does not guarantee that you have godly children. Somebody needs to hear that today. Don't quit praying for them. Don't quit living that life in front of them. But Samuel's sons did not walk in His ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. 
They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your way. So they kind of surveyed the situation and they said, Samuel's been great, but he is at the end of his life. We can't expect him to be here and continue to judge us and, and give us wisdom. Obviously, your kids are not fit for that calling. So when we encounter a situation that looks grim and we don't have answers, what's the best place that we should turn to first? To God. But every time Israel doesn't do that, and every time we don't do that, things go from bad to worse. So here's what happens. They look at the situation and they say, we got to fix this. Because as human beings, especially men, we're guilty of being fixers. We see a problem and we just want to jump into it and fix it. But we need God to help us. We need God's wisdom. We need God to lead the way. And so they look at him and they say, we need some help here. Your, your children aren't walking in your ways. Verse 5, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. God had set Israel apart. They weren't supposed to be like all the nations. They were supposed to be different. And the Bible says as believers, we're supposed to be different. And yet when we encounter problems and we run to the world to try to get answers to our spiritual needs, we're setting ourselves up for a bad, bad result. So that was their answer. And so it says that thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us the king to judge us. So Samuel, where does he go? To the Lord. Samuel takes his discouragement and his problem and he brings it to the Lord. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Be careful what you ask for sometimes. Because oftentimes God will give you what you want to prove that He is what you need. I'm going to say that again. God will often give you what you want so that you'll see that He is what you need. You're not always going to be pleased when you get what you ask for if you didn't go to God first to get what you were wanting. See? So God says, okay, that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Verse 8, According to all the works which they have done since that day, I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day which, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. That's the background that we see before David is ever born. Saul will become that king. And he will be the one that the people of Israel choose. He will be the one that is anointed. He's about 40 years old when he becomes king. David hasn't even been born yet. And so that kind of gives us the backdrop of what's going on in Israel. Saul on the outside looks great. He looks like anything that you would want a guy to look like as far as might and beauty and having things together. But the problem was in here. And over and over, he fails to do the things that God through Samuel has asked him to do. And so it doesn't take long for Israel, for Samuel, and for Saul himself to see that this kingship is not going to be very long-lasting. That it's only going to be temporary. And that God is going to take the kingdom away from him and give it to someone else. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, verse 14, we, we get a prophetic mention of Daniel, or of David, I'm sorry, if you will, in this verse. 
It says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, speaking to Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for Himself. Remember, the people wanted a king and they got Saul. That didn't work. Now God is going to make His choice and that will always work. He says, the Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded Him to be the commander over His people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. That's an interesting phrase that we see in that verse. A man after God's own heart. I believe that God is still looking for people today that have a heart after His. Notice it says that He had a heart after God's. Not necessarily like His, but after His. I think it's important to distinguish that wording and and try to figure out what the Bible is saying there for us. We need to be men and women with hearts that are after God's heart. It wasn't that God chose David because He saw something miraculous in him, that there was something special about him inherently where he was worthy of being used by God. But God had been working in his life, in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the routine. And guess what? David had been faithful in those days. And because of David's faithfulness in those ordinary days, God knew that he could be trusted when the call came to do something that was bigger than David himself. Because David would not rely on himself. David would rely on God. Whether it was to defeat Goliath, whether it was to have patience as Saul sought to take his life, whether it was when his own son betrayed him, over and over David depended on God. Imperfectly, but he depended on God to help him in those times. And God is still looking for that today in His people. I want to look at three things this morning for us to draw out from the life of David that God wants to see in His people if we want to be men and women after God's own heart, if we want to be ready to be used by God when the call comes. These are qualities that we need to nurture and that we need to be intentional about trying to see carried out in our lives. So write these down. We're going to look at three of them. Number one, David was a man after God's own heart because his heart was surrendered. David's heart was surrendered. If you're going to serve God, if you're going to do anything for God, you must first have a surrendered heart to His will. In Acts 13.22, so we jump to the New Testament, and we see there that David is being spoken of again. These stories being recalled hundreds of years later. And it says there in Acts 13.22, when He, that is God, removed Him, that is Saul, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do what? All my will. God said, I found this man, a man whose heart is after mine, because he will do all my will. I've seen a church sign. I've seen it several times over the years when I drive by different churches. It says that God does not want weekend visits. He wants full-time custody. And that's really true. We need to surrender our lives completely every day. Not just when big situations arise that seem like mountains in our lives. We need Him for every step that we take, every breath that we breathe 
in our lives because He is with us and doing something, preparing us for things in those moments. The Bible tells us that no man can serve two masters. And obedience in our lives is not optional. Now certainly we have the ability to make choices. We have a free will. We can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We can go our own way. But just like Israel choosing Saul, just like Saul choosing his own path, it will never work out for you if you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus and trying to do things your own way. You have got to surrender your life. All of it. And for many of us, we hold on to a portion of it. We say, God, you can have Sunday from 11 to noon. If I'm really dedicated, I'll give you Wednesday from 7 to 8. But the other 166 hours, we'll talk. Get back with you. Depending on how my schedule looks this week. That's not an option for us. The Bible says when we come to Jesus, we die to self. He said, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. It's so hard for us, not just in this country, but especially in this country, to lay aside our wants, our comforts, our desires, our priorities. Because many of you are on such a hectic schedule. Some of you, by choice, have put yourself in that situation. Others... You just don't have a choice. Maybe, maybe you have to work two jobs. Maybe you're a single mom and you're burning the candle at both ends. I'm not finding fault with you if you're busy beyond human capabilities. But I am saying this. It's a good thing every once in a while to take an inventory of your life and to say, I need to scrape some stuff off my plate. And I'll tell you this. Don't always make church the thing you scrape off your plate. Because nine times out of ten, when everybody's too busy, guess what gets set aside? Church. When money gets a little tight, guess, guess when the giving gets cut back from? Church. At some point, guys, we have got to say God is first. And I'm going to trust Him with my time. I'm going to trust Him with my treasures. I'm going to trust Him with my talents. You won't outgive God. You won't be more faithful than God. He is looking for people that will trust Him. He is looking for people that will believe Him. And when we surrender our lives to Him, I know it's scary. I've been there. And, you'll, and I'll be there again and so will you. But God has never failed us. I hope we don't just say that because it sounds good and I hope we don't just sing those songs because we like the words. I hope we mean that. I hope we believe that. God is faithful. Great is His faithfulness. He hasn't always done everything I wanted Him to do. He hasn't done everything how I thought He would do it. But He's never failed me. He's never let me down. And, and whether it's through the valley or over the mountaintop, He's been good. He has been good. There is not a verse in this Bible unless you twist it that says God is obligated to give you everything you want, when you want it, how you want it. There's not a verse in this Bible that says that if you trust God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous all the days of your life. If that's the case, then God sure failed the disciples. They all died martyrs, save John. They all died poor and homeless and gave their lives gladly for the cause of Jesus. Go over to our brothers and sisters in third world countries that are doing this right now and risking their lives to do it, and you tell them that God wants them healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, they will look at you like you've got two heads. Because that's not what they see in the Scriptures, and that's not what I see in it. But that's what's peddled to us in this consumeristic culture of today, because that sells books. That brings people in. I would get much bigger crowds if I told you that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous than if I said you are a sinner in need of grace, and you need to fall on your face before a holy God and repent of your sins. That's not the message that the world wants. But that's the message that God gives to us. And when He opens your eyes and you realize what good news that is, I'd give the whole world for my soul.
For my, there's not a price you can put on it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having things. There's not. As long as those things don't have you. You have got to prioritize things. You have got to put them in the rightful place. Things are to be used. People are to be loved. Too often we use people and love things. That's all backwards. We are God's people. We are called to love one another. We are called to love Him. That's the two commands. If we could just get that right. Washington keeps passing law after law after law. We couldn't keep ten. We can't keep two. But if we could just love God and love our neighbor, man, what a difference we would see in the church, in the world, and in our communities and beyond. David was surrendered to Him. And I'm telling you this, it won't matter what you do, it won't matter how many times you're in here, in this room, occupying a space, breathing in air, if you're not surrendered to Him, you have not yet understood what God wants from you. So many people spend all their lives, I've been asked this question as a pastor more times than I can count, God, I just, or pastor, I just want to know what is God's will for my life? What does He want me to do? He wants you to surrender to Him. Number one, most of us haven't figured that out yet. We're, we're, we want to spring into action and God is still trying to get us to understand that we haven't surrendered our day-to-day life. We come here and want to do big things for God in this hour. God wants to do things in your life through the hours of school and work and time with your family and time outside in the community. It doesn't always have to be, it will not always be on a big milestone event in a church service or even in the church serving. Certainly there are needs in here that we want to do and meet. But are you using your life surrendered to God? Are you faithful in the mundane, in the routine? David was, and God said he was a man after his own heart. Number two, not only was David surrendered, but he and us both must be humble if we're going to be used by God. If we're going to be a man or woman after God's own heart, we have to have a spirit of humility about us. It takes humility just to admit that we're not there. It takes humility. If you're here today and you're lost and God is convicting you, it's going to take a humbling of yourself to realize that you're not good enough to make it to heaven. So many people are convinced that just because they're good people that God is going to welcome them into the kingdom one day because they have lived a decent life. I know many people that live good lives that don't want anything to do with God. But being good cannot pay your sin debt. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You can serve at food pantries. You can give your time and your money to do good things. But that will not in any way, shape, or form buy you a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not going to do it. Because that reservation is not made with money and good deeds. It's purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what reserves you a seat at the table. And until you humble yourselves and bow your knee and confess that you're in need of grace, you will never see the kingdom of God. The Bible says unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's a new birth that only God can do. We've got to get out of the way. Oftentimes, the biggest hindrance to God using us is us. It's so easy to blame everybody else. Well, pastor did this. The church did that. My husband did this. My wife did that. My boss did this. Look, maybe sometimes they are to blame. 
But you can't control what they do. You can only control how you respond to it. Right? And if you're constantly miserable, if you're constantly discouraged, if you're constantly defeated, you can't see the good things. Listen, if they treated you bad, that's an opportunity to love them anyway. If they, if they won't serve you, serve them. The Bible says that we're not just to love those that love us and serve those that serve us. We're supposed to love our enemies and serve those that treat us bad. Right? You say, how on earth do you do that? Go back to step one and repeat it again and again until you understand. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus. If He's more important than you, then you can put your ego aside and humble yourself. But if you are number one all the time and it's all about you, you haven't surrendered yourself and you'll never get to step two. You're never going to be humble if everything is about you. Listen, we have, we have become a culture that is so sensitive and so easily offended about everything. And I'm not going to walk around every day and live my life worried about your feelings. I don't want to intentionally upset you. I'm not trying to be purposely divisive. But I learned a long time ago that if I stand on this book, the world out there is not going to like me. And you've got to decide if you're okay with that or not. Because if you're trying to straddle the fence, you are never going to get anywhere for God. You have got to decide, I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve people. If they hate me and mock me, they did it to Jesus. They're going to do it to me. And I'm going to respond as best I can through the Holy Spirit to treat them with love and decency and respect. Because just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're saying those things. Why did Samuel say that, that Saul was rejected? It wasn't because of Samuel. He said that he's, he's rejected me. You're just seeing the result of a rejection of me. The way that we are treated is ultimately not a rejection of us, it's a rejection of God. They don't want to hear the Word. They don't want to hear the truth. The Bible says men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were wicked. We've got to understand, church, that we will be persecuted and we will be unpopular. And we have tried so hard to be liked that we have compromised the truth of the Word of God. And where has that gotten us? We see a weak, inept, anemic, apathetic church largely in America today, because we refuse to surrender and humble ourselves and say, we love you, world, but we love Jesus more, and we're going to tell you the truth whether it fills up a room or clears it out. That's the reality of it. That is the reality of it. So David was a humble man. Here's one example. 1 Samuel 18, verse 23. Saul's servant spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said... Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Listen, to here's David's estimation of himself. He didn't say, well, God told me I'm going to be king and you better honor me and treat me right because I'll get you when I'm in the king. I'll remember what you... That's not how he acted. He said, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. That was David's estimation of himself. He kept it in a right perspective. Anytime we think that we're a little bit bigger than we are, God's going to have to knock us down a few notches. And He'll do it. The Bible says He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't let pride. It's one of the most subtle sins, but it's one of the most deadly sins that we can have in our lives. And the thing about pride is this. It's so hard for us to see it. Normally, pride is seen by other people. And when they have enough courage to come to you and say, brother, sister, I'm worried about something I've seen in your life, guess what pride causes us to do? Become more prideful. Who do you think you are? Haven't you ever read Matthew 7, 1, Judge not lest you be judged. Who do you think you are talking to me that way? And we immediately put up a defense and we get angry and we point fingers and say, it's your fault, it's your fault, you did this, they did this. Humility takes an honest evaluation and says, maybe there is pride in my life. Maybe I need to surrender. Maybe I need to humble myself. The early church father Augustine said, if you want to build a tower 
that will pierce the clouds, you must lay the foundation of humility first. Without a good foundation, you'll never rise up very high. And the higher you get, the quicker you'll fall down. Humility is the foundation that we must build upon. And you will never be greatly used by God until you get yourself out of the picture. You have got to get yourself out of the way so that God can use you. In Philippians 2.3, I love these verses. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation just because I like how it brings it out. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and think of others as better than yourselves. Man, that's a challenge. That might be one of our verses at some point. That's a good verse to hide in our hearts. It really is. David was surrendered. He was humble. Last one, number three. David was a man of integrity. David was a man of integrity. It says this in Psalm 78, verses 71 and 72. Speaking of David again, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. Where did he bring David from? Out in the fields, taking care of the sheep, watching over them. The routine mundane days and hours and weeks and months of life. While he was out there by himself, lonely, cold, hungry, discouraged, God was preparing him through those events to become a king. Don't despise the humble beginnings of your life. No matter where you're at, if your eyes are on Jesus and you're seeking to become the man or woman that He wants you to be, your day has maybe not have, has arrived just yet, but God is preparing you. Are you faithful in today? Or are you constantly looking at tomorrow and wondering when your breakthrough, that's a big word today that we hear a lot of church, your breakthrough is coming. Your breakthrough is coming. Listen, I'm not really concerned about my breakthrough. When I met Jesus, He did more than I ever deserved. That's enough. But I just want to be faithful to Him day in and day out. And if you'll walk that road with Him, whatever comes up ahead, He's in it. He's in it. And it'll be good. It says, And Israel was His inheritance, so He shepherded them, listen, according to the integrity of His heart. And He guided them by the skillfulness of His hands. That word integrity means means to be honest or wholehearted. David was an honest, wholehearted man. He did what he said he was going to do. He was faithful to God. He could be believed. He could be trusted in his dealings with people. If you're going to be used by God, you've got to be someone that is found faithful and trustworthy in the things of God. Your testimony matters. Don't say one thing and do another. Don't live an inconsistent life. An old, old Puritan preacher wrote a book. His name was Richard Baxter. wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. One of the most convicting books that I have ever read. And he said this, I quote it often. He said, don't, out, uh, don't undo with your lives what you say with your lips. Don't undo with your lives what you say with your lips. The biggest complaint against the church from the world is that we are hypocrites. That we don't live a consistent life. And we can brush that off and blow that off, but in a lot of ways they're right. We're going to fall short and we need to own that and admit that. But that's not an excuse to live a consistently inconsistent life. We have got to strive for holiness. We have got to strive to be like Jesus. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He's not pleased with how pretty you sing, how eloquently you preach, how much you give, or how good of a servant you are if your heart's in the wrong place. If you're given to be recognized, if I'm preaching to draw an audience, if I'm singing to get pats on the back, God is not pleased. 
You, you made a lot of noise, but made no impact in the kingdom of God. Keep your money. Just keep your money. I'm just being honest. We want you to give, but I want you to give for the right reasons. If you want a plaque on the wall or a banner out front, it ain't happening. Give for the Lord and to see His work increased. He'll bless you more than I can bless you. That's a fact. Do things for the right reason. God wants servants who will do what is right, not what's popular. We have got to stop worrying about what everybody thinks, what everybody wants, and find out what God wants for us and for this church and then do it. It's as simple as that. If we will just get on the same page with what God wants and move forward together faithfully, my goodness, God will do something big in this city. I believe I'm still praying for a revival. I'm still praying for people's hearts to be changed. I'm still praying for the gospel, which I know is the power of God unto salvation, to make a difference. I know He's coming back. I know the Bible says in the last days evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. I know that sometimes we wring our hands and say, just come back, Jesus, and get me out of this mess. But I'm not going to quit working and believing and praying and proclaiming the gospel until He does. And I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll join me. Proverbs 10.9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. The Bible says your sin will find you out. If you're trying or doing things today that is pleasing your flesh, but is outside the will of God, it's, it's coming if you don't repent. I don't care what it is. Relationships, I don't care what it is that you're in today. If it's outside the will of God for you, it's not going to go well. It's not going to be blessed. It just won't be. It can't be. I want you to do something as we close. Those of you on this side, I want you to look out these windows. Those of you on this side, I want you to look out those windows. Turn and look out that side, look over there. This side, look over there. You're looking out those windows. Now I want to ask you a question as you're gazing across the aisleways, looking out those windows. What is in front of you as you look out the windows? People. There are people, as you gaze beyond out there, thinking about what tomorrow holds, what might be, what could be, what should be, you're missing the people that God has put right in front of you. So often we are so concerned about what God wants us to do out there and tomorrow. And listen, we need to be a church that is outside the walls. We shouldn't just camp out in here and never leave this building. But there are so many needs right here in this room. And oftentimes we neglect the people that we're so familiar with because we're looking for something else. And God says, until you're faithful with what I've given you, don't expect any more. If, if, if pastor stands up in the pulpit week after week and announces that there are needs in this church and we say, well, don't feel like doing that one. I'm ready for the big outreach block party. Big, the big things. I'll be at the big things. The big things won't be blessed if we're not taking care of the routine Monday. And I'm not saying you're mundane and ordinary. I'm saying that we get more opportunities together with each other week in and week out than we do with the interactions of people that we may never see again. We have got to be faithful to the things in front of us. I want to I say this as we close. I'm done. Moms, mothers, women in general, you do so much that goes unnoticed. We understand that. Listen, men may do a poor job of communicating that to you. We may not always show that we are thankful and grateful, but make no mistake about it, the majority of us see what you do day in and day out. And we appreciate you for that. Don't ever think that doing the laundry and washing the dishes and running errands and taking care of the kids is not important to God. 
It is. That is part of the ministry that He has entrusted to you. Do it well. Serve well in that area. And God will do greater things in your life as you trust Him with those routine, mundane, seemingly ordinary things in your day-to-day life. Men, fathers, we have been given the awesome responsibility to love our wives as Christ loves the church. We are to be the spiritual heads of the church. And too many of us have failed because we haven't grown up. We haven't surrendered and humbled ourselves. We haven't taken the role seriously that God has set aside for us. And I don't want to always be intentionally difficult on men, although they often bear the brunt of a lot of messages. But sometimes the truth needs to be told. And the reality is, any church that I've ever been a part of, there is a two-thirds majority of women compared to men. When I lo- if I walk out there and look at that children's church list, Tiffany, how many men are on our children's church roster? Brittany, is Brittany here today? Brittany, how many, how many men are on our nursery roster? I'm not beating you up. I'm saying those are needs that we have pleaded about. Men, you can lead the way. You say, I don't like to change diapers. I don't like to talk to kids. I don't like to play games. I'm too old to get up off the floor. Listen, most of the time, all we need, if you do this, and you feel something pumping in there, and you go and there's air coming out, you're qualified. We just need a body back there. The ladies will do the work. Listen, ladies, you've been taking care of us for the last ten decades. You don't mind to go back there and do the work if you could just get a body back there to sit with you. Amen? So guys, it's real easy. You just got to be willing to do it. You just got to be willing to do it. Teenagers, don't think because you're young that you can't do something and you're not doing something for God. If you stand up and live faithfully in your church, in your schools, people are going to look at you, yeah. They're going to talk about you, yeah. But guess what else is going to talk about you? Heaven's going to talk about you. The angels are going to rejoice that you're taking a stand for God, that you're making a difference, and God will do something in your life. We don't despise the young people. You're just as much a follower of Jesus as anyone else if you've given your life to Him. Live for Him every day. Don't compromise. Don't give in to the pressures of the world no matter how difficult it can be. Get in church and get surrounded with people that will encourage you. And all of you in this room, don't look out the window saying, we need more kids. We need more youth. Yes, we do. We're praying for that. We're believing for that. But don't forget the ones that are already here. Don't not invest in them because you're worried about the ones that still aren't here. We can get both. But if we don't take care of these in here, God's not going to give us more. Be faithful with them. Senior saints, you say, I've done my part. My body's given out. I can't do the things I used to do. It, it troubles me that I'm not able to do this stuff. You are valuable. There is a place for you at K. Russo Baptist Church. We are thankful for you. We are glad you're here. I can't tell you how many times over the years in my ministry that a senior saint that could barely walk anymore, that had been just out of the hospital, but drug themselves into church, could barely have the energy to lift their hands and sing a song. But I saw them sitting in the seat and I thought, man, they have an excuse to not be here. But they were faithful and showed up. You don't know how much that's encouraged me over the years. And it encourages others. Just your presence being here matters. It matters. It does. Phyllis, I'm going to invite you to come. Shane and Christopher, you guys come. Church, I want us to think about this this morning. Don't just blow this message off today, please. I want you to really listen to what God is saying to you this morning. All of you who are believers have a testimony. Who are you helping with that testimony? I don't care if it's a great big testimony or just a little ordinary testimony. Who are you sharing that with? Who are you encouraging with your testimony? 
You have talents and gifts and abilities. You say, well, next time, Pastor, you arrange an event, I'll do this. Don't, don't look out the window and wait for the event. What are you doing with your talent today? Who are you helping today? How are you encouraging someone today? Don't just wait for us in the church to provide you with opportunities. You have opportunities every moment of your life. What are you doing with those things? In the ordinary, in the routine, God is preparing you for something better. Are you faithful? Are you surrendered? Are you humble? Are you a person of integrity? If not, come and ask God to cultivate those characteristics in your life today as we give this invitation. And most of all, if you're lost, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can come and say, Lord Jesus, I want this relationship that Pastor has talked about. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. If you'll just come and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and change your heart and change your life, you can begin this journey that we've talked about today. But that choice is yours. Only you can make it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, thankful for the life of David that challenges and encourages us, thankful for your Holy Spirit that moves among us and opens our eyes and our hearts to the truth. And as we give this invitation, God, I pray that you would just burden hearts, that you would draw those into your presence, that they would make decisions today to come and follow you, serve you, commit to this church, whatever the need, God, that they would hear your voice and answer it today. We give you praise for these opportunities that you put before us. May we be found faithful in all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. As we